Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige. Uh, it's a movie podcast by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we discuss that film, we review it, and some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And always we end with our recommendations for further, re- further reading, further watching, following the movie. If you listened last week, you'll know that Sam is off gallivanting. Well, he's not, he's off being a dad uh, for a couple of weeks. So I've brought in a ringer. Um, I've brought in Chris from our other, another show we have on Kaiju, The Space Jam Continuum. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to roll with Dr. Chris McLennan because I've been studying Sam uh, and his uh, habits. And I think I've cut out the middlemen. And I can deliver the kind of opinion Sam would deliver just by studying him. So that's, that's fair. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my plan. Uh, so just just call me Doctor Sam Knowles, Doctor, and <laughs> and uh, we'll roll with it. But uh, as two men who yeah. I've known for twenty odd years, this is very strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I've got to, I've got to do my bit. Uh, but uh, else, elsewhere, I go under the guise of Chris McLennan. Uh, I um, half of the Space Jam Continuum podcast, where we try to make a cohesive cinematic universe out of the entirety of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies, just to help Warner Brothers out because their cinematic universe is rubbish. Uh, so yeah, we've been doing that for about a year, and it's hell. Um, but yeah, t- t- tune into that if you if you enjoy my dulcet tones here. We did do one episode on Batman vs Superman way way back when it first came out, um, and neither of us were very kind to that film. I, I think that's fair. <laughs> was the film kind to you? No, it, it was exactly. the last film. It was the last film that my wife and I saw before we had our daughter. And to this day, my wife is angry that that was the last film she saw in the cinema for like a year. Yeah, I was going to say, how long was it? <laughs> like, that, I can't like... believe I wasted it on that bit of crap. <laughs> um, so as always, we kind of open the show with what else we've been watching what else we've been reading or enjoying sam tends to do more books because he's a nerd um <laughs> but uh, i say it's that kind of operation is it <laughs> but obviously it's a chance for us to discuss about other things we've been watching so chris do you have anything apart from our, our movie of the week that you want to sort of just plug or talk about that you've seen uh well lately i've been uh, i've rewatched all of over the garden wall which is a delightfully creepy uh, animated series by uh, one of the people behind uh, Adventure Time. Uh, it's got Elijah Wood in it and a bunch of other like people in bit roles, but it's sort of like twists on uh, classic fairy tales, but it doesn't sort of moddy-coddle you through them or really mention what they are. You just It just sort of sits in the background, sort of the way it does in like Hellboy or something like that. And it's, yeah, it's really, really good. And it's nice to watch something that's a complete thing, not gunning mm. for the next season and the next season. It's just 10 episodes. They're about you know 20 minutes long and then it's finished and you don't see that enough in tv i don't think <laughs> no i must have, i've never even heard of that one um but i, oh, I will check it's it horrible, out but also delightful um you know it's it's yeah it really treads that that line where you go should kids be watching this <laughs> but it always works out okay in the end it's fine that's important uh, as long as it was yeah. fine in the end but yeah, that's lovely. Um, also, I've been watching Goliath, uh, which is an Amazon series, like a legal drama with Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, I can't tell if I think it's good or not, but I am definitely enjoying it. But I think I am predisposed to enjoy Billy Bob Thornton whenever he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I know I, one minute I'll be thinking like, yeah, this is great. And the next minute I'll be like, this is complete trash, isn't it? This doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I don't know. I'm enjoying it. 
I can't. I don't really know how to uh, explain that further without just sort of telling people the story of the first season of Goliath. But yeah, I, I really can't tell if it's genius or just complete trash. That's um, fine. That's fine. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't say I recommend it. But yeah, it it's Billy Bob Thornton being Billy Bob Thornton, and that tends to work for me. So this segment was designed originally as a recommendations section, um, and it ended up with me, me and somebody saying, "We watched this. It wasn't great most of the time." <laughs> yeah. So no, yeah, the, that's the, fine. The, when you when you consume the the like like a sponge, the amount of you know TV and video games and the like that we do after a while it's hard not to go somewhat jaded yes that's true, <laughs> true. I've, I've actually watched a new show this week and it's one that like the internet has been raving about for like, i know it's, it's in season two for at least a year now and i've never got around to watching it so i've been checking out queer eye ah uh, yes i remember the 2002 2003 original series um, and this is obviously the, the Netflix reboot, and I'm really enjoying it. It's not yeah, my kind so of I show. I remember it back in the yeah, back in the 2000 and whatever, and yeah. I haven't checked this one out at all. Like, it's, I mean, I, it, it's not my kind. Of show. Anyone who knows me will know that I'm not. You know, I'm not the smartest dresser in the world. I'm not. You know, that, that's that sort of thing is not my my cup of tea. I'm not a big fan of reality TV in almost any of its forms. Um, but it's just so lovely and wholesome. Yeah, like the little the little bits I've seen, it just looks. Like I don't know again, it's that it's that lack of cynicism to an extent. It's like just seems like nice people being nice. Yeah, it, it, it genuinely is. It, it just, the, the five guys that, uh, that who um, the Fab Five as they they call themselves, they're just they're all really nice guys, and they're never they're always just trying to make the person be the better them. Rather than trying to make them into something. Yeah, some they're shows not like trying that, to be someone else. It's like you know, yeah, you what know, do like, you want out of this? here's your body shape here's what you like well here's a really nice way of doing what you like so no it, it's been you know it, it amidst amongst of all sort of the the horrors of the modern world um it's been a really nice kind of just wholesome hour every night me and my wife watched and uh, watch one of those uh one of those so yeah if you haven't checked it out i would recommend it i really would it, it is very nice and wholesome um i wouldn't watch i wouldn't binge it because it can be a bit repetitive in its structure um but the odd one here and there is really a lot of fun awesome so as guys, as you guys know, we are currently doing our season three, where we're looking at a director each month. Um, and with Sam's absence, and because of my maybe more vocal objection to this director, uh, Chris has stepped up to the bait, up to the plate, and and we are looking at uh, Wes Anderson for the next. Four weeks. <laughs> yeah, that was a long pause. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, in all honesty, I, I will touch more on this later. I, I am not a Wes Anderson fan, but a lot of that comes from, to be honest, I haven't really seen many of his films. Um, a few I have seen, I haven't got on well with, and so I've never really explored a lot of his back catalogue. So this month is going to be an interesting one for me because it's a, someone who I'm coming to almost new because I haven't seen other I mean, the films we're, we're watching. I've seen one before. Um, but I'm coming into it not having known the films, but not in a good place. But we are starting this week with his uh, his very first film, the 1996 film Bottle Rocket. Which I hadn't watched in ages. Like, it's been years and years since I watched this film. Like, I, I'm coming from the opposite uh, angle to Rob. Like, I don't adore everything he's done, but mm. uh, I, I have seen every Wes Anderson film at least several times. Um, and uh, I think he's mostly 
just sort of gotten better and better. So, um, yeah, I'm coming from the opposite angle to Rob, but but it was interesting going back to to watch Bottle Rocket because it's mm. it definitely has a root of all the things that came later, but in a sort of scrappier and more of its time kind of way, like someone reacting to a film landscape at the time rather than uh, really trying to do their own thing within one. Mm. Um, I mean, as someone who has never seen Bottle Rocket before, um, essentially, guys, it is a, in many ways, a heist film. Um, in well, But it's also kind of like a, a brotherly family comedy, on the other hand. Um, but it's not a heist film in any kind of sense of, Ocean's Eleven or anything like that. It is as close to a Wes Anderson heist film as you're going to get. Um, it's about the people and the minutiae of their lives and their idiosyncrasies that make them them, but in this structure of, of some some small-time crooks and their like heist. The heist is about, like, seven minutes of the movie? Yes. <laughs> it's very it's much not- an afterthought in terms of the, the, what it shows us. Um, yeah, and I will say, as someone who came to this, I was very surprised by, in many ways, how un Wes Anderson is. Um, it, some of the eccentricities, shall we say, that he brings in in later films. Um, that some of them are here, but especially his visual sense that he develops as he, as he goes through just isn't here. They're kind of almost staged and almost staged yeah, kind of look. Yeah, um, I mean, there, there's little bits of it, like in certain types of scene like like so Wes Anderson suddenly later on like every everything's normally very square on to the background like mm. you're watching yeah like you're watching something on a stage and like he like he, he he seems to sort of quite like that separation of audience and what's going on but in mm. this like you only get little bits of it like in in pure dialogue scenes it's often quite square on and quite symmetrical um, but it's definitely looser. Like it's definitely, it's definitely more akin to. I, I mean, I guess what someone just like out of film school or 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 whatever like would have seen and be trying to ape. Like this is how this mm. is how you make film. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's very in that nineties indie vibe. I mean, you got this is what comes four years after Reservoir Dogs, which is kind of one of the big bursts of yeah. that. Um, it's in the kind of clerks era. It's in the slacker era. It is that kind of style of movie. What was I think the dialogue and the plot is very with Anson. The look is very much of the nineties. I mean, you, you can, yes. in the same way, his later films kind of have a timeless quality to them by the nature of his sort of presentation. This is very clearly a nineties indie film. Yeah, and it's it's interesting in that sense as well because. Not only is that a stylistic aspect, it's uh, like something that means like this. This film probably couldn't have been made really at any other time. Mm. It just wouldn't have happened. Like so, the the film he he got uh, a a small budget together, thinking he would make his film, and he managed to make about eight minutes, I think, <laughs> and uh, like and wound up with sort of a short film of the same sort of ilk. Mm. Um, and only through Sundance, which at the time uh, didn't have the hundreds of thousands of applications for its however many it is, 40, 50 slots. Like, so managed to get it shown at Sundance and that 
like snowballed into him being able to get a proper budget and going to finish it and make it mm. you know the full the full feature film and you know if someone if someone tried to do that now you know all these film festivals currently are pretty much massive already or mm. small and not particularly revered where like it, it this occurred at just the right time for one that was revered and on the indie scene to still be accessible enough to someone who basically hadn't finished their film. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's that kind of... 90s is that kind of age of, of, of the landscape changing. Like these days, your first film, it has to look like Hollywood film. There is an expectation because the technology is there, because the information how to make films is there, um, and it's all digital these days. There is an expectation that you can't turn up with this kind of half-shot, shoestring budget kind of movie. And yeah, make I mean it. it's the same. It's the same in in music. It's like uh, you know you can produce something you know approaching a studio album in your house. Like mm. so, there's not really any excuse not to do it. Yeah, you you you're going to you're, like the cracks are going to show pretty fast if you're not mm. delivering on those fronts. Whereas come the mid nineties, because we were still shooting on film, and it was say after after Red Dogs, which was ninety two, Clerks was ninety four. This comes in ninety six. Um, it's it's that era where you're like, yeah, we can, we can take a punt on this film that doesn't look great, but has some characters, has some personality, and can fit in with that market, you know. And also, I mean, these even in this modern day, they, 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 these films aren't there isn't a market for these films. You know, absolutely not. There's a reason why Kevin Smith doesn't really make his movies anymore, um, and the, and Wes Anderson is probably the tokenistic kind of person making these films. Um, indie films, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but indie films these days are tend to be horror films because often they're cheap and they're good. And we're going for a bit of renaissance there currently, but this kind of films that aren't really about anything um, and are slightly funny, but are, they're kind of droll, but kind of um, intriguing, haven't got a place. In the modern, but market. also even Wes Anderson films, and like you'll likely see it between the next couple that we watch, like a stark contrast. If you look at even even the the bigger budget, more well known Wes Anderson films, you know from a, a like a decade ago, look very different to the last few he's done. Like the last few, even though like stylistically a lot of it's there, um, it's. It, it's the polish is much higher. Mm. It, it, it like, and I think that's. I mean, it it suits it now because he's got such an idiosyncratic style. But I think the polish probably came as a matter of necessity, simply because otherwise your film looks amateur. Yes, that's how it is now. I mean, but in terms of this movie, want to review it a little bit before we dive too much into it. Yeah, go. I did enjoy this film, film more than I was expecting to. Um, I came at this film not overly positively. Um, it doesn't help that I'm not a big fan of, of the Wilson brothers as actors on top of, uh, all of this, but I didn't, I mean, this is them first. This is them at the start. Yes. Um, and, and, and we did watch, um, Idiocracy as a previous episode. Um, and I was more positive on that than Sam was. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Like you do, it took me a while to get into it. I felt it could have lost easily a good 20 minutes in the first act um it just kind of yeah. noodles around a little bit until it finds what it's trying to see or do or say and that I mean that's, that's midnight indie you know it's supposed to be a bit kind of loose and baggy uh, but for me it felt too far and it just kind of didn't go anywhere 
But I think it as as the film went on, I started investing more in the characters, digging them particularly. Um, it felt a little bit early on, felt a little bit too much, a little too intense, too much like a caricature. But as the film goes on, you start to see a little bit more of the nuance there, a little bit more of the uh, personality with him. Um, I really, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say it was an amazing film for me. I didn't, I didn't love it in the way I love other films, but it certainly was, I was more positive of it on the end than I thought I'd be when going into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, re-watching it, I kind of expected you to be, simply because, I don't know, it, it and it might be because it's, a bit shakier and a bit less like Wes Anderson's found his groove and this is what he does now. Like, it, you know, it's a little less idiosyncratic, but also, it, like, I don't know, it's like rewatching it. I, I, yeah, I found it really difficult to dislike really anybody in the film, mm. like, as a character. It's that like, everybody, like, I think one thing it does really well in the film is just make you. Like get you on side with pretty much everyone. Like there's a there's a level of like childlike innocence to pretty much every character in the film. Mm. Like, and it's if not engaging per se, but it's endearing, and you you kind of want everyone to do okay out of it, and it keeps it trotting along, mm. even though they're clearly you know amateurs and you know incompetent ones at that um but most of that most of it's very human most of it's basically children inhabiting adults bodies in my view yeah there was a real childlike element to it and the the scene that really hit that home to me is when um he's talking to his sister grace yeah, and grace feels very much like the older sibling of the conversation yeah and like that was an interesting thing and it felt that scene to me felt quite important because it felt like it's kind of saying not this isn't a world like it isn't a world presented that is this odd and as we, as we go yes. maybe more into his films on the line um he the, the, the world that anson creates can be a bit like oh the whole whole world's slightly odd that we're in you know um yeah whereas this it feels like well yeah the, these two people who feel like brothers more than they feel like anything else um, yeah, and there is—I mean—there's a theme here, kind of, of family, of of the, the the three of them particularly become a family more than maybe their actual families are. But well, it's also yeah, it's a big a big part of it. I think is rejection or, or disconnection from your family, mm. your your blood family, like because every everybody in it sort of has that, like uh, like um, uh, so you've got Dignan who you never really see or find out about his family and he's also seems to be the only one who has to have a regular job mm. uh you've got bob who seems to live in a frank lloyd wright house so he's fine like he's doing okay for himself why is he involved in this heist he doesn't need to be the driver for some idiot's heist he's like definitely rich and fine you're like uh you know the 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 crime boss played by James Kahn is 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 a landscape gardener mm. like it's it's just all these things it's like uh, everyone's got this separation from their real life and then there's this sort of family feel that's built family feel between everybody else yeah it's, it's just that feeling that, you know, that the family that you build somehow is more important than the family you have I mean obviously you've got future man who's Bob's brother yeah. who doesn't treat him very nice very well um, and it's about these three guys kind of 
through it finding a family and finding it this connection um and uh, who's the big brother who's the little brother and, and, and all of that and that's i think once the, that film that that film kicked in i enjoyed it a lot more um yeah. and and it's, as you say that the, the heist bit is kind of not important and the fact i mean uh, it's a tiny catalyst it's a heist of a from a library yes by the way <laughs> it's, it's like they, they just they just steal some money from the safe at a library um so that's that's the highest yeah we, we, i mean we, we we're happy to go into spoilers on this so i mean the film ends with you with dignam in, in jail um and bob having been robbed brutally of everything he's got but yeah. it just feels like a, a footnote in the story it doesn't feel like that's like this, this is a film that they've lost somehow. The film still presents it as that they've won as a group, that they're still the heroes of this story. And I think it's because, yeah. as, as I say, it's like it's about them finding each other and finding the balance of of the three of them is the important. Absolutely. And and right at the end, the scene right at the end in which um, Dignan goes off on his one of his plans, like making an escape, and he's clearly just yeah. winding them up. That I felt was that to me was the big character arc of Dignan, particularly, is that he because that was him just growing up a bit. Yeah, it, it, like just an element of self awareness. He's, he's aware of who he is and how he works, and made made a joke of it with his friends. And that, that to me felt like a, a really big step because he is, especially early on, he's the bulldozer kind of pushing Anthony to do yeah, with his seventy five year plan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my five year plan felt quite inadequate compared to his. This. <laughs> There's some great lines, like, and I think, I think um, Owen Wilson in this particularly, but in a lot of his roles in Wes Anderson films, actually delivers just some of the the greatest comedy lines, and in the perfect way because he just speaks so fast. Mm-hmm. Like you're already onto the next thing, and then you're just you like a joke from three lines ago will land because. And you're already deep into the next bit. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I, in this one particularly, I love it. Like, if you really, really listen to those bits, especially early on when he's first, uh, he's first out of the nut house and they're just sort of on the bus home and he's already gone through everything they're going to do. And it's just this all, almost train of consciousness, just gibberish, mm. that you're just struggling to keep up with. And you empathise <laughs> with someone who has to listen to this just out of the nut house. I mean, what, I, what I did enjoy with Owen Wilson in this is that in many of his films, I mean, outside of the Wes Anderson films, he plays very much the surfer stoner t- stereotype. He kind of yes. leans into that blonde saying wow a lot, or whoa a lot. Like, he, he, he leans that. And here he's very much the other in the spectrum. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. I enjoyed seeing him kind of do that. I mean, Luke Wilson, I feel, plays Luke Wilson in almost everything, really. He doesn't... Uh, not yes, as- Luke Wilson, I will agree with you. It's not... <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a great actor. Um, he's Luke Wilson. No, but like, with Owen, it felt nice to see him kind of play against type in terms of seeing him do this. Um, and I'm, I think yeah. we'll touch more on that next week when we get into um, Life Aquatic. But there yeah. feels this, like, there's this push to get people to play against type um and what is done with that in terms of of the roles but i did enjoy that in in Amazon. and i enjoyed also i mean the we hadn't talked about her at all really um but uh the character of inez um the girl yes. he falls in love with at the motel and it just felt really sweet as i talked about the queer eye earlier i think it kind of wholesome it just felt really yeah that's how I mean, it, like most love stories are not you know written in the stars 
rom-com kind of thing. It's just someone who you meet, who you like, and you have a connection with. And yeah, you know, and there's this, but there's also like it connects very strongly into the the family and separation film. Mm-hmm. In that, Ines uh, is the one character in it who is close with her family. Like you know, that she, she's like. I think part of that love story is that she embodies an ideal that uh, Anthony has never, mm. never engaged with for whatever reason. We don't really know what his situation with his family is, but, you know, we can pretty much conclude from just the context of the film that, you know, he's not, he's not like super close with them, um, but also that he is still supported by them. Yes. And I think that feeds into... <clears throat> There's a strange innocence about so many aspects of life in this film, like the, the immediacy with which he uh, decides he's in, in love with Ines. Um, the, like, they don't seem to see any difference between each other uh, on a social standing, mm-hmm. but I, I would say it's strongly implied that there is one. I think it's strongly implied that Bob and his family are very well off and that Anthony's somewhere in the middle and that Dignan maybe a little lower down the yes yeah the food chain and they don't seem to see those differences like when dignan is uh just when when dignan's leaving and uh the guy who's been translating for ines says tell tell tony i love him uh like it does not register to him at all no that that's a real thing like th- 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 there's there's a, like an innocence and an obliviousness to basically everything tangible and real around them mm. and yeah i think yeah. part of the ns love story is that like that is his connection to something tangible and real mm. so chris do you have some recommendations um for further watching as we call it or further reading movies that you can link to this one that you'd also push our listeners towards um so there's a there's a film called uh, palookaville which came out not long after, I don't think I'm can't, can't remember exactly when. It's a it's an uh, Alan Taylor of uh, most TV series ever fame. He he directs on uh, Game of Thrones and he Deadwood and Sopranos and you know he's just done uh, you know a bit of every major sort of HBO ish series that's been around. Mm. But he did a film called Palookaville, which uh, like uh, thematically. Well, at least in its sort of catalyst, is very similar. It's a it's like it's another comically minor, like amateur heist and the fallout thereof. But it's a very, very different type of film, uh, and it's interesting to to watch the side by side. Because again, it's definitely something that came out of that uh, indie surge in the nineties. But it's uh, like I know it's 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 darker it's more serious and it's interesting to see how a very very similar uh premise can give you an almost entirely different film in in nearly every regard uh so that's that's called palookaville cool Uh, cool it's not amazing but it's definitely worth a watch i've got two i can recommend this this week um, one's a thematic one um, it doesn't really need me recommending it really it is a well known and well loved film uh, but it had a similar, lot of similar vibes of kind of incompetence and a sort of a dry and darkish humour and that's the film from the same year um, 1996's Fargo 
It's, I mean, it's it's it's, it's the probably the best Coen Brothers film in my opinion. Um, it's gone on to spawn a very successful TV series. If you haven't seen it, I think you should. And I don't know why you're listening to a podcast about movies if you haven't seen. It. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I I, I still find a surprising amount of people who are you know really really into movies and for some reason have like Fargo's passed them by it's like we'll go back because it's the one movie in fact I can't think of really any other film at all which gets pretty much across the board from everybody uh I know who's seen it like it's it's a it's a five-star film it's just incredible it's it's amazing like like it's not I, I don't know I don't know anyone who watched Fargo and said ah it wasn't for me (laughs) <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem to be a thing it is, it is it, some of the best directors working at the top of their game um, and I like the Coen Brothers and they've made some great films but I think Fargo remains yeah I think best. it's fair to say it's like al- almost objectively their, their their best made film it's like it's just every, everything just falls exactly where it should and it's it's beautiful and my second recommendation I, I enjoy recommending bit parts um, from movies in other films been in Kind of way for me to plug films I like that I can't find another way. So Future Man, who is Bob's older brother, um, who I didn't recognise in the movie, mainly because he's clean shaven with a, with a crew cut, um, and I know him with a beard and long hair as he is these days. I've just realised who he is. <laughs> um, he's Andrew Wilson, I, I presume another Wilson brother, um, and he popped up as the coach in a movie that I really love that didn't get a lot of love, um, yeah. and that's Whip It. Which is a um, roll? I'm gonna say rollerball, not roller. It's roller derby um, movie starring Ellen Page and Drew Barrymore. Um, it has a bit of a shoehorned romance plot. It probably doesn't need, but it's fun. It's very spunky. It's very um, sort of in yeah. your face in the way that roller derby is. And yeah, I, it, it took me like, oh yeah, I do see it. But him, him clean shaven. I didn't. I didn't twig first of all. Well, until you said there, long hair and a beard like he is now. Like I. I hadn't registered until that point that that's who it is. Like that's literally yeah. I've just just in this moment gone. Oh, yeah. um, and he's the sort of guy. He, looking at his, his IMDb, he's been in a lot of things um, as kind of like a like a you know, hippie dude um, and all that sort of stuff. And he, he but he's very good in that. He he's he's the coach who has to kind of wrangle this group of, of Rolly Derby players. Um, very exasperated, but with a lot of heart to him um, and. It's just a great film that didn't get all the love it deserves. Um, so I'm just going to try and push it here. Fair enough. So that's it for us, guys. We'll be back next week with the next episode of our Wes Anderson month, looking at the life aquatic of Steve Zissou, one of the more well-known uh, Wes Anderson films. Till then, you can find the show on Twitter at Petty Podcast. You can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Chris, where can people find you if they want to? Uh, you can find me uh, at TSJ Community on Twitter uh, for the Space Jam Continuum. Uh, otherwise, just uh, hop onto kaiju.fm and uh, find the podcast itself, the Space Jam Continuum. Brilliant. And as always, guys, if you do like our show, if you do like the things we do at Kaiju FM, we really appreciate your support of just listening to us. If you want to help us out more, we do have a Patreon. Um, you can access it at kaiju.fm forward slash support. We put up, um, there'll be behind the scenes stuff, there'll be a few special episodes here and there, there's going to be some merch and deals and that kind of thing. Lots of awesome Patreon gifts. If you want to help us keep the lights on, keep the uh, the wheels turning here, we'd really appreciate uh, a dollar or two from you. Till then guys, we'll see you next week.